You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. All right. Well, good morning. Uh, I just want to ask you, you know, starting off here, have you ever heard anybody say, uh, I felt like God told me to, and then fill in the blank. Anybody ever, right? And for some of us, maybe that's like really common language, and for others, that may be a little, a little strange to hear this idea of, of, of hearing from God and what he is saying. And uh, what we want to do, we're going to start doing over the next few weeks, is actually going through a series of stories of biblical characters when they hear God call them to something. And so we're going to spend some time doing that. And these stories we'll be looking at, they are a part of the larger story of the gospel of the kingdom that we spent some time looking at over the last few weeks. Um, And the goal remains in all of it still following Jesus. Um, But, you know, as we look at it, my hope is that as we look at these stories, that we'll actually begin to see some patterns and some ways that God talks that help us in discerning what he's saying, well, help you discern what he's saying to you and how he might be leading you. Can we do that? And so, you know, in this process, I want to also highlight a bit of what we spoke about last week is that when God calls us to something, when he calls us to obey something, it's actually a call to action. It's not just an idea to, like, believe. It's actually something to do. He calls us into this life of actually following, doing, being like him, where we embody the gospel. And, uh, and what we're going to do to kick this off, this series, we're going to look at the life of Abraham. Uh, Abraham is referred to often in scripture, well, he's never actually explicitly called this in scripture, but we often call him the father of our faith. And there's a ton of this unpacked by Paul in, in Romans 4, and there's more of it in Hebrews But he is this character who really kicks off the faith journey of God's people. Um, And before we look at a scripture where the story starts with Abraham, I want us to catch the context. And I'll give you just a quick summary of like the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Quick, okay. And I can go quick because of what we did over the last few weeks, okay? But there is, you know, it begins with this good creation that God has made, right? And and this chaos that was brought into order is really what the creation story is about. And then humanity rejects God and his ways by choosing to trust in their own ability and their own effort versus simply trusting what God has said. And by doing so, you know, we see humanity descend into death and more chaos. There's this this undoing of the order that God created. And then we see God extend mercy and make promises, but humanity continues to choose its own way. And there's just this ongoing descent into chaos. And these 11 chapters, they culminate with this story, this well-known story of the Tower of Babel, where these people are saying, I, we're going we're gonna to come together and we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build this tower that reaches to heaven. Right, 
And as you know from the weeks we were looking at the gospel of the kingdom is that God's intent is to actually bring heaven to earth. Right? There's this, there's this union between heaven and earth that God actually ordained and planned. But what we see in this story is humanity saying, we'll build our way there on our own. We will build a tower that reaches to the heavens. We will make a name great for ourselves. Right? And it's this ongoing progression where a society has now come to a place of building itself on self-effort, right? Self-preservation, all this stuff. And we're going to make a name great. We're going to make our way to heaven, all this sort of stuff. And in the end, what happens is they end up scattered. Different language, more chaos. And yet, even in the midst of all this, the story carries on and picks up. Now we're going to dive into Abraham, okay? We're going to start in Genesis 12, I'll read the first bit. If we had time, we could read all like, you know, 11 chapters on Abraham, but we're not going to do that. Um, Here we go. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev, and the story goes on, and he goes down to Egypt, and so on and so forth. We're going to stop there, and I read some of what we read on the latter half of that, just to help us catch a bit of the picture that continues on through his life. We'll look at that as we go on this morning. And I want us to realize as we're looking at these things this morning, I feel like this morning is more of like a meditation on some of the things we can see in the story. We're going to meditate on it together and hope for the Lord to to speak through it. It's more of that than just a teaching. But I want to point out one thing before we go further is that notice God said to Abram, I'm going to make your name great. It's similar to, to what they had wanted in the Tower of Babel. And yet, the difference is, is distinct. It's God making his name great. And, and the idea is, is that we're, we're to trust God to do this, not try to on our own. And that idea of trusting God over self is a theme that repeats again and again and again throughout Scripture. It's really, you know, the, the, the whole idea of the fall was built on humanity trusting ourselves over God. And then we see this pattern again and again throughout Scripture. But what I want us to look through this morning from the story of Abraham is God's voice, our obedience, and God's faithfulness. And so first off, I just want to ask the question, when God speaks, how do we know? How do we know it's God? 
I want us to catch a few things in God's commands to Abraham or in his call. And the first would be, and you've maybe heard this before, you know it's God if it's bigger than you can do all on your own. Like he's saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. All the nations of the world will be blessed through you. It's huge. Another way to know if it's God is if he's calling you out from the known and familiar. In other words, if God is speaking and God is calling, it's likely going to be into something uncomfortable. Look, look at what he says, right? He says, like, leave your land, your people, and your family, and go to a place I will show you. It's sort of like, what? <laughs> like, you know, leave everything you've known. Leave your familiar people, your familiar place, and go. And it's just into this, this great unknown is that he's venturing off into. And it reminds me of the story of Jesus walking on the water, right? And they're trying to figure out, is that a ghost? And what does Peter say? Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me out on the water. I think they hung around Jesus long enough to know that if it was Jesus, he'd probably call him to walk on the water too. You know, there's, there's this sense in which what God calls you into is going to have unknown. It's going to have discomfort. His plan for your life is not to make you super comfortable. Okay? And connected to that is this other, this other thing I see in it is that when God speaks and he's leading and he's guiding and he's calling you into something, he usually only reveals the first few steps. Like the, 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 the command is, go to where I'll show you. <laughs> you know? It's like, well, thanks, God. I don't, like, I don't know about you, but me, I'm like, can you give me a little bit more detail? Like, how much should we pack? Can I, do you have a roadmap for us? Can I get this on my, like, Google Maps app? You know, like, I, I'm looking for a little bit more than just go to where I will show you. But the reality is, is that the way God leads us is he's leading us less with a roadmap and more in a relationship. And, and there's this reality that we'll see in Abraham's life is that the call of God takes you into a way of living that requires ongoing listening. You've got to keep listening. You've got to learn to respond in the moment. And I know like in different moments of my life when I felt God leading me into something new, into some transition and change, I've often just seen this picture of just holding a hand much bigger than mine in a thick fog where I cannot see far ahead. All I know is whose hand I am holding is faithful and trustworthy. And he shows the next step. And that's what we see here in Abraham's call. It's not a road map. It's not the whole plan. It's this huge promise. And then this simple like, now just go and I'll show you where to go. And I found myself thinking about uh, our friends here, Lucas and Chrissy, as I was thinking about that. I've seen Lucas live like this again and again. And, but most recently, he told me two weeks ago he was having dinner with some Brazilian friends, and he just felt inspired in his heart to say, let's gather next Saturday. He's had in his heart to, to gather these different Brazilians he's met in the city. They met a week ago, and then they met again last night, and last night there was close to 50 of them in the hospitality room. And it's just this, like, I don't know what it's going to look like, 
but let's move forward. Let's do it, right? And that's how God leads. It was the same with me when I started my business. I had 1500 bucks, and I bought a compressor and a, and a few tools and threw them in a truck I already had. And in a short amount of time, I had a business that we, you know, we started doing years where we were doing millions of dollars worth of gross receipts, started with $1,500 invested into some tools because my dad said to me, well, if you're going to be doing it, you may as well do your own thing. But point being is I didn't have the whole plan. It was just this nudge. God felt like God saying, go this way. We went this way and, and it worked out. Or maybe it's something where you feel a nudge to, you know, confess sin. All you know, you don't know how it's going to work out. All you know is you can't shake the conviction that God is saying you need to get this out there. You need to speak this. You need to put it in the light. And what I can tell you in my own journey is whenever I have felt that conviction of God to confess my sins to someone, the outcome is liberating. The outcome is great, great good in my life. Or maybe it's a word of knowledge or something prophetic. I remember years ago, like, having this sense of just a pain in my lower back, and I felt like God, this one, Telson and I lived in Reading, and I felt like God said, the next woman you see, I want to heal. And all it was was a pain in my back, and I had this sense, and to make the long story short, went around a corner, met a woman, sure enough, she had back pain, prayed for her, ended up uh, with a couple other people hanging out in her family's living room. She recommits her life to the Lord. Her family ends up recommitting their life to the Lord, on and on. There's stuff, but it started with just this simple nudge, right? Um, lastly, and I would say most importantly, if you want to understand, is this God? Is he speaking to me? When God calls you to something, it will benefit not just you but others. He says, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. You're going to become a blessing to the nations. I want, like God's ways and God's commands are never just for you. It's never just for your good. That's why we say here at Life Street, right, we have the saying, we're a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. When, when I've met people who ask me what I do and, and I just tell them, oh, I work for this, you know, nonprofit that seeks to help people of all walks of lives transform their lives for the good of others. That's what I often will tell people. That's my line. Because I find when you just say pastor, they look at you funny and they go, I don't know, what is that? But there is this reality uh, that, that that's what God's commands are about. His leading and his guiding and essentially his call upon your life is not just to bless you. It's to bless others through you. And this is countercultural. Like the, we, we actually idolize this idea of calling sometimes in our culture. And it's all about me realizing my best self and on and on, right? But in reality, the call of God is to bless the world through you. That is this whole gospel of the kingdom idea that God wants to bless the whole world through his people. I mean, if you look at the Ten Commandments that God gives later to Abraham's family, the people of Israel, you will see that these commandments actually build a beautiful society. It's not just for an individual. Are you with me? So this is how we know God speaks, right? This, this bigger than you can accomplish on your own. You've only got the next few steps. 
you got to keep listening, right? And it's not just for your good, it's for the good of others. So let's look at how Abraham responds, okay? Um, I'm going to say, I love how Scripture doesn't fill in all the details for us. It, it just tells a story and it lets it speak for itself. It's pretty subtle. You know, Abraham, if you actually look at the story over the next few chapters, and I even read a, in a bit of what I read, I read because I wanted us to see it just there as well, but what you'll see is that Abraham makes a lot of bad choices. Abraham uh, is, is, yeah, he's an interesting character, okay? But I love that the text doesn't go just outright and say, this was wrong. Abraham did this and this was wrong. You just got to read the story and, and see it. The narrative speaks for itself. But what, you know, one of the first commands we see God give him is leave your land, your people, and your family, right? You with me? And it tells us, and Lot, sorry, and Abraham brought his nephew Lot with him. At no point does it say, well, he shouldn't have brought Lot, but we can see, like, here's this command, leave them, and he brings some of them with him. Well, if you look at the story, Lot becomes quite the liability in Abraham's story. I, I'm not going to, you know, read it all. I'm going to have to just reference things in the rest of the story because I'm not going to read all 11 chapters to us this morning. But, you know, the land can't care for Lot's family and Abraham's family. Abraham has to go rescue Lot from getting captured later on. There's all this liability that comes with Lot. Abraham, you know, goes to the land. God shows him. It tells us in the part we read that God told him, this is the place you will inherit. And then the next verses are, and Abraham proceeded on to the Negev. And then there was a famine, and he went to Egypt. At no point did God actually tell Abraham to go to these places. And in the midst of that, Abraham is lying and scheming. He's lying about Sarah being his wife because he's worried that if they know she's his wife, they're going to kill him and take her. He's scheming. He's starting to go, hey, if God's going to make a great nation out of me, I need a, I need a son, right? And later on in the story, he, he turns his wife's servant essentially into a sex slave. They go, we're going to make, let's, let's make that promise God said happen. Let's just do it this way. And he, and he forces, you know, this slave into this relationship with him, and they have this child. And it's interesting, too. This is another one of those things that the Scripture never explicitly says. A lot of people will look, it's a little side note, but I'm going to say it anyway, you know, at the Bible and go, look, like God blesses polygamy. That's messed up. He does not. If you look anywhere in Genesis, anywhere polygamy happens, there's a mess for the family. There ends up being drama between these, you know, these different lineages from the same man. And that's what happens with Abraham's story and with others like it. And all this just to say, like, Abraham's obedience to God's call, I would describe as weak and sloppy, <laughs> But Abraham's obedience was weak and sloppy while God's faithfulness was strong. Because in the middle of this story, despite all of his blunders and all of his failures and all of his shortcomings, God repeatedly bails him out, blesses him, and reaffirms the promise. Like there's all these moments where Abraham's continuing on to just kind of find his own way and make all these mistakes and walk things out in the wrong way. And God keeps showing up on the scene and saying, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to bless you. 
And it's just like, it's amazing. It's this picture of his mercy. And what I would want to say to us is it's God's perfect faithfulness that, that fulfills the promise, not our perfect obedience. Are you with me? And in the, in the climax of the Abraham story is, is all the way in 22, okay? Genesis 22, and we're going to flip there. It's a well-known story. And this is where it all kind of comes, where we start to see, okay, Abraham's starting to get it. I'm going to read verse 1 to 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Yes, this story is wild. It's a very, very strange story. And for anyone who... who I need to fill in the gaps for here, which I haven't done. Um, Isaac is a son that Abraham had with his actual wife, Sarah. Okay? So they, they attempted to fulfill the promise on their own earlier with their servant, with their slave. But God is saying, no, 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 that's not the way. And he ends up having this son, uh, Isaac, 25 years after the call to leave his father's house. Now, to understand, you know, this significance of this, I think it's important for us to realize, like, in this culture, in this time where this story takes place, having kids and a lineage was everything. Like, this, this was what it was about. This was the meaning and purpose of your life. And God says to him, sacrifice him. It's supposed to be striking. It's supposed to be shocking. Okay, and, um, and the whole story really, you know, revolves around this. The promise of I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to make you a great nation, requires that he has a child. And then he's got the problem, he's got no child. And then the promise is fulfilled, the solution comes with a child. And then the command comes, sacrifice the child. Sacrifice the promise. Think of it in those terms. I know it's like it's a little much for us to bend our minds around and go, what, hold on, sacrifice your child? Like, who is this God? But, but catch, the call is to take the very promise, the very calling, the very fulfillment of the thing that God had spoken over his life or over your life and be willing to lay it down. Be willing to entrust it to God. And it tells us right away in verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham packed his things and they went. There was, this, there was this shift that we begin to see in Abraham. This immediate response. Let's read verse 9 to 12 from chapter 22. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay him. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. 
Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What we can see in this moment is Abraham's faith and loyalty is, is tested and revealed. It's proven real. It's proven real when the fulfillment of the promise is no longer an idol in his life. When he's actually willing to let it go and lay it down and say, it's all yours, God. He trusted God above all else. Obedience to God was actually of greater importance to him than the fulfillment of his calling. You could think of it in this way. Walking with God and close with him was more important to Abraham at this point than fulfilling the call of God on his life. But it was only after many years of witnessing God's faithfulness, despite his, as we said, weak and sloppy obedience, that he actually began to trust God. And he learned. He learned to listen intently and to obey immediately. I've often reflected on this story like, not long before God said, sacrifice him, And right there in the moment, God says, stop. And and it, it speaks to like there is this requirement, like I said earlier, a lifelong listening. A consistent ear open to what is God saying, right? And this is the way we're called to walk. And at the same time, we also see this tremendous trust in Abraham. Hebrews says that Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. He had come to this point where he actually believed that God could make this happen. And after he comes to this place of total surrender and God stops the whole thing, we read on in verse 13, it says, Abraham looked up. And there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And there's obvious parallels in this story to Jesus. Right? This sacrifice of your one and only son. This substitutionary sacrifice that comes when Abraham fully trusts God in Isaac's place. Sorry, my iPad died on me. There we go. But ultimately, when we look at this story of Abraham with this call, with his messy obedience, eventually developing to this place of total surrender and total trust. What I'd say to you is God's call on your life, his leading you is to ultimately lead you into this place of faith, into this place of fully trusting him. And it's into this place where it's like you don't, you don't need all the kudos that come from fulfilling some great thing on your life. I, I, when I look at the story, I find it really interesting. And it speaks to me, this whole thing of like not to idolize calling. Abraham's life is basically this, in fulfilling God's call on his life. He's promised to become a great nation. He has the kid that's going to become the great nation. And he dies. 
I know that's a really like basic, simple summary, but what hits me in it is that he played his part. His part and his calling was, was a piece in a much bigger story. And sometimes we can have this expectation, this weight that we place upon ourselves of what it's supposed to look like to respond to the call of God, what's supposed to happen through my life. And yet what God's looking for from us is just simple faithfulness in the thing he's called us to, to play our part. And the time will come when all of us pass on, like Abraham. But the question is, did we play our part, right? And it may, it may be out in the open for people to see, and it may get written down for others to read years later, or maybe it doesn't. But there's this reality we can see in the life of Abraham. This faith was established where, where, where his identity wasn't wrapped up in it. He could lay it down. He could let it go. It was in God's hands. And there is this place in, in hearing God speak to us and understanding how this works that he wants to bring you into this place of a similar faith. And ultimately, it's a faith that's marked, yes, by courage, but also by peace. Courage to obey, courage to walk out into the adventure of the unknown, into the unfamiliar. But it's also this deep trust, this peace, and this rest. My hope is that for us, as we look upon this life of this man, who's, who's pointed out again and again in the scriptures, that we would learn to be in this place where our faith is so secure in him and his faithfulness, not your perfect obedience, that you can move forward in faith, in trust, with peace, there may be specific things that you feel like God is calling you to do. Maybe there is a, a big business venture, or maybe there's a thing as simple as you're supposed to invite this person over for dinner. You're supposed to have that neighbor over, that coworker over. Or maybe it's a nudge to confess sin, like I referred to earlier. But in it, do we have the peace? Do we have the trust? Do we have that conviction that God will be with us, that he will walk with us and we can step into whatever it is without the whole plan mapped out, without everything spelled out for us, but simple obedience. Christine referenced this morning, you know, that she's been thinking often about that name of God, Jehovah Jireh. This is where it comes from, this story in Genesis 22, he's the God who sees and provides. And what I'd say to you this morning is God sees far ahead in your story and knows what you will need, when you will need it. And he has made provision. And the ultimate testament of that is in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That, that we don't even fear death itself. He has provided the way out for all of our blunders, for all of our mistakes. So even if your obedience is not perfect, you trust in him and his faithfulness. And my hope more than anything, guys, is that from this story that we would walk out of here today with a peace and a trust in the God who sees and provides. The God who's made a way. And so what I want to just encourage us to do as we're closing here is we're just going to take a minute in silence, okay? And we are going to, this is, 
This is silence, guys. Come on. No, no sorry. The, uh, what? Oh, I missed that. Okay. And for the record, I'm just being playful. I'm not, I'm not, no scolding from up here. Don't worry. Uh, but yeah, what I want us to do, guys, is, is in the silence, and sometimes it's all it takes is just slow down and be quiet, and you start to actually hear what God is saying. We live in a culture that's moving fast, and there's information and noise constantly coming at us. And, and my hope is that just in the silence, maybe God's highlighting that thing that he's been nudging you to do. Or maybe you already know what that is, and in the silence you begin to recognize what it is you're afraid of that's holding you back. But in that place, I want us to then just set our eyes on the one who provides. I want us to take a deep breath and just receive that peace that comes from knowing he's got it covered. Can we do that? So you go ahead. If you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. And I'm just going to pray, and then I'll, I'll actually be quiet. Father, we come before you together this morning. And we open our hearts to hear from you. God, is there something that you have been speaking or nudging that we've been missing in our busyness? Or maybe while looking at it, Lord, there's, there's an underlying fear that we haven't even named or recognized. We just welcome you here in this moment. Spirit of God, speak. Maybe for some of you, you're really aware of something you sense God speaking to you, showing you, and others of you, you're like, I don't, I don't know. But what I'd say to you is, um, if that moment was uncomfortable to just be silent, Maybe an indication that we're in need of more of it. There's such a busyness. And what Telsey and I know have been discovering lately is that when we just stop and slow down, things we've been avoiding, things we've been ignoring, things we've been suppressing begin to come to the surface. It's my hope as well in just having that moment is that you, you realize, you know, you can posture yourself like that anywhere, anytime, except for when you're driving. But, you know, just this place of like, God, I'm going to hit pause. I'm going to listen. I'm not going to make anybody get up front and say, this is what God called me to, or this is the fear that's been, uh, been stopping me. But I will ask Gideon, as, when we close, just put some questions up there to get us thinking about it. And maybe in conversations that happen here after the service, you would begin to share. Because there's something that happens when you speak out what God is calling you to. It was my very beginning of my walk with Jesus started with these words coming out of my mouth. I'm going to quit drinking. And I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And when I said those words... 
that was the day everything started to change. And, and there's just this awareness that when you actually share with people what God's calling you to, what he's saying, speak it out loud, there is, there is a power that can be released for things to begin to shift. And so I'd encourage you to, uh, to speak as you feel that, okay? Let's stand, pray, and then I'll let you go. Father, we thank you for the reality that you will accomplish that which you speak. When you promise, you will fulfill. We thank you that it depends on your faithfulness far more than it does our perfect obedience. And we ask, Lord, that you would develop in us just a deep rest, trust, and faith to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the LifeTree Church Sermon of the Week. At LifeTree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about LifeTree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.